Hello and welcome to Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Kunkel. Well, I hope you're all enjoying some well-earned holidays after what has been a very big year. If, however, you've sacrificed time with your family and friends to be at work over this holiday period, be sure to check your pay slip for penalty rates. This year, all across the country, public holiday penalty rates apply to all work on December 25th, 26th and 27th. If you think there's something wrong with your pay, get in touch with the union. 2016 has been far from smooth sailing for the Australian trade union movement. The bosses are coming after penalty rates, suppressing wage growth to all-time lows and trying to break our unions. We've seen trade union leaders targeted by politically motivated policing effectively trying to criminalise union activity. We've also seen the firefighters' union attacked for standing up for their members' right to have a say in the workplace. Both were cynical election ploys which helped to secure the re-election of the Conservative Turnbull government. After many months of wrangling and shady deal-making, Prime Minister Turnbull secured the passage of his anti-union legislation through the Senate. While the registered organisations and ABCC bills both pass in compromised forms, they will still represent significant challenges to our movement. But 2016 has also been a year of great victories. We have seen militant union activity secure great wins around the country, notably the three-day strike and rolling pickets at Polar Fresh, where the NUW brought supermarket giant Coles to their knees. We have also seen solidarity in action. In November, the CUB 55 marched back to work, victorious. The steely determination of a band of fitters and electricians backed by the entire Australian movement won out over the world's largest brewing company. No matter where they are or what industry they work in, union members have shown that when workers' rights are under attack, they will stand up and fight back. This week on Stick Together, we're taking a look back at the MV Portland dispute. Multinational metals company Alcoa used a loophole in the legislation to replace an Australian-flagged bulk carrier, the MV Portland, with a flag of convenience vessel. In a scenario becoming all too frequent, the crew were told with no notice that once they offloaded their cargo, that the ship was to be sold and that they would be forced to sail it overseas before becoming redundant. It was a move designed to replace the Australian seafarers with foreign workers who are paid as little as $2 an hour. These foreign workers are forced to work in terrible slave-like conditions. You might think that the seafarers would resent the foreign workers taking their jobs, but they know that their quarrel is not with the workers, but with the bosses and ship owners that seek to exploit them. The crew refused to sail and staged a sit-in that ran for more than two months. They maintained this occupation until they were shaken from their sleep and dragged ashore by private security goons in the middle of the night. As we draw near to the one-year anniversary of this dramatic early morning raid, we look back at the dispute and their continuing campaign. We start our look back with Michelle Myers, National Women's Officer of the MUA. The MV Portland actually is a coastal trading ship which brings uh, alumina from Quinana in WA to Portland in Victoria and back again. That's all it does. It goes around the Australian coast and under the current legislation and cabotage laws is that it should be an Australian crewed, Australian flagged ship that does that work. Um, the MV Portland is Australian crewed and was, was Australian crewed and Australian flagged. Um, but Alcoa chose to remove that vessel from service and seek a temporary licence from the Turnbull Federal Government um, to bring in a foreign crewed vessel called, well, there's been two now, Strategic Alliance and the Greenery Seas have replaced the uh, Australian crew's work. Has uh, the cabotage laws changed in this country? No, they haven't. They were, they're still the same from 2012. The temporary licence that was granted should never have been granted under the current existing legislation. Uh, we challenged that in the High Court and um, we were unsuccessful. 
Turnbull government should be revoking that licence immediately and it should be an Australian ship on that coast. So basically the present government is actually saying that they don't believe in, in local jobs? Yes, well, do they believe in any local industry? I mean, you've seen shipbuilding, you've seen all sorts of manufacturing industries go. Um, shipping industry is probably one of the less visible industries that we have. Our seafarers are the invisible workforce and uh, um, I think um, they've forgotten about a lot until something like this happens. There's fury over a secret midnight raid to forcibly remove a group of Australian workers from a ship operated by mining giant Alcoa and replace them with a foreign crew. Let's go live to Charles Croucher in Canberra. Good afternoon to you, Charles. Take us through what's happened. Well, Kerry, that two-month stand off the Victorian coastal town is over and it ended, as you said, under the cover of darkness last night. Dozens of security guards boarding the ship and removing the five remaining workers. They were replaced, Union say, by a foreign crew that promptly left port bound for Singapore. CMV Portland, she's just sailed out of Portland Harbour. She's been taken over tonight by foreign crew. The Australian crew have been removed forcibly in from their sleep in the middle of the night. At 1am in the morning, security guards came into their bed took them out of their bed, dragged them down the gangway. They had 10 minutes to get their gear and they had to go. This is the MV Portland now sailing um, out of Portland Harbour and off the Australian coast. Devastated by the raid but their will unbroken, the crew of the MV Portland continued their campaign on shore, taking it to the streets all around the country and up to Parliament House in Canberra. We're talking to Zach. He's one of the Portland Five. Uh, you've made your way up to Canberra, haven't you? Because uh, you want the politicians to know that you're not so happy about uh, you losing your job. That's right, Annie. Uh, good to be talking with you again. Uh, we've made our way. The Portland Five have uh, hit the road and we're in on the doorstep of uh, Parliament House. Um, we also had the CMFEU here and, and, and the heads from the MUA just to get the, the camp established and days going forward we're going to get some answers to what's going on. Yeah so you're going to be there for a bit of a while aren't you? Yeah we're in for the long haul um, definitely for the long haul as long as it takes really. And we've just heard that the CSL Melbourne's fallen in the same way as the uh, MV Portland. Yeah so the treacherous acts of the of the government continue and big shout out to the all the comrades on the CSL Melbourne you know our hearts are with you and we're here thinking of you guys and we're fighting for you every step of the way. All around me are familiar faces, worn out places, worn out faces, daily going nowhere, going nowhere. In January 2016, I resolved that we would fight until we can't fight anymore. And when we can't fight anymore, we'll pick ourselves off the deck and we'll fight some more. And this is the start, as I say, of a national campaign, of a state campaign, and of an international campaign. I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever It is absolutely outrageous that Alcoa or any company should sack Australian workers for the sole reason of replacing them with foreign workers on less wages.
children waiting for the day they feel We have been absolutely betrayed by these people and by this current government. listening to Stick Together, where we're looking back at the MV Portland dispute 12 months on. With me now is Michael Pawson, a seafarer of 27 years and a former crew member of the MV Portland. Michael, thanks for joining us on Stick Together. How are you, Matt? Very well, thanks. So can you tell us a little bit about where you are right now? Well, right now I'm on board a ship called the Wok Martha. We're heading up to a place called Grove to pick up a cargo bauxite, which is one of the components of making alumina. But uh, a year ago, I was um, the chief cook on board the MV Portland. The MV Portland holds the record for the most trips across the Great Australian Bight. Can you tell us a little bit more about her? The MV Portland was a ship designed for the Australian cargo of carving alumina from Western Australia down to the smelter in Portland. And it had done that for nearly as long as I'd been at sea. It had actually got away a year before me. In that time, it had always been crewed by Australian seafarers. It was going from an Australian, one Australian port to another Australian port, and that's exactly what the vessel was designed to do and was employed to do through Alcoa and the companies that uh, supplied the alumina. So we're coming up to 12 months since you and your shipmates were dragged from your beds in the middle of the night, but can you tell us about how the dispute started in the first place? The dispute started in the first place because Alcoa wanted to save $6 million a year and wanted to put on a, a foreign crew and uh, we were to be um, made redundant. And we got the message from we, our last port in Western Australia and that was only because one of my crew members' wives who lives in Portland checked out in the local paper, I think it was the Observer, that we were going to be um, made redundant on arrival in Portland. So when you got the news that you were to be made redundant, what was the response from the crew? What did you do? Well, the, the response from the crew was, you know, we were disgusted in it because how could you put on a foreign crew? But all they were going to do was just put on a, a cheap foreign crew, exploit them, just to save a couple of dollars. So the MV Portland crew staged the longest sit-in occupation of a vessel in Australian Union history. Can you give us an idea about what it was like to be on board at that time? Yeah, the whole, the, the whole dispute was just, most of it was disbelief because how could, you, how could a company, with, and that being Alcoa, 
want to make more money when they are already getting subsidised by the Victorian government to the tune of I don't know how many million dollars a year just to, for free electricity. We took a stand because it was just so wrong. It became clear that the bosses, the Liberal government and the Port Authorities were against you. What was it like to face such large odds and what kept you going? Well, it was the David and Goliath battle. Um, you've got Michaela Cash, who went around the outside circumvented. I mean, I'm a union member and you always hear from the Liberal Party about union thugs and union bullies and all this. Well, the Liberal Department, the Liberal Party, I should say, is nothing more than a a pack of thugs and vagabonds run by bloody Malcolm Turnbull because they've changed laws and everything else to make to, to uphold the new laws that made us the, the, the criminals. And it's all we were were just workers. And we wanted to work on our ship in Australia. Again, it was an Australian job taking an Australian cargo from one Australian port to another Australian port to keep all these Australian workers employed. But the Liberal government went around the outside and just colluded with Alcoa to send down stormtroopers to take us off our vessels. But we said, no, you're not going to take our jobs. On the morning of the 13th of January, the ship was raided in the dead of the night. Can you tell us what happened? On the morning... At one o'clock in the morning, I, I was awakened by the master of the vessel coming into the cabin, and he had three stooges behind him. Now, at that time, coming up out of, a, out of your sleep, I didn't know if these blokes were... I know it sounds very silly right now, but I didn't know if they were terrorists or whatever. All I remember doing was getting woken up by the captain telling me that I had ten minutes to get off the ship and that my services were no longer required. He walked out of the room and to three of these thugs standing at the door all with those mag-like torches like batons telling me I've got ten minutes to get off the ship. And then what happened? Well, I was trying to get dressed. Uh, probably you know, two minutes had elapsed by that time. And um, next thing they just opened the door and said, come on, hurry up, you've got, a, you've got ten minutes to get off this ship. And I said, well, to them, I said, look, I'm trying to comply. I think I have one leg in my jeans and trying to get dressed as they uh, knocking. So I just went over and slammed the door in his face. And um, I let another couple of minutes go by and he's burst in the door again. By this time, I've got about seven people on the door and I'm still trying to comply. And they made it certain that there was going to be trouble if I didn't get my act together and get off the vessel. So there was me against seven people. So the campaign didn't end with the raid. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you and the crew did after you were put ashore to get an Australian flagship back on that run? Well, on the morning of the 13th, as we saw her sail away, and she being the MV Portland, we were all very, uh, very emotional. I mean, it was so disgusting to see your workplace being sailed away by uh, FOC crew that had been smuggled on board as we were getting thrown down the gangway. Anyway, we decided to take the government on and, and we took it to Parliament and we got a, a, a hearing up there. We saw lots of parliamentarians and politicians and 
you know, we tried our hardest to get this job back. And um, But the Liberal government just being so hell-bent on destroying unions, even though you know, the, the thuggery that they don't mind putting into the workplace themselves. Australia has more ships working on its coast than any other country in the world. The overwhelming majority of these ships are now foreign flagged or flag of convenience vessels. Can you tell us what it means for our island nation if it stays on its current course and further reduces the number of Australian crewed ships? That's exactly right, Matt. There is a, there's a heap of ships out here. So the, the work for a merchant navy is there. However, this government, they just do not want an Australian merchant navy, which would bring security to Australia. So taking those Australian crewed vessels off the shores has also led to problems in the industry for seafarers just trying to find any job in Australia. Can you give us a bit of bit more of an insight about that? Well, what's happened now is you don't have the security that you used to have when you had an Australian merchant shipping. And all of the people that are skilled up and trained to sail ships and now, as we call it, sitting on the roster, waiting for ships that are never going to come. And it's the whole the whole industry is just in a in total disrepair thanks thanks to this government under Malcolm Turnbull. So, uh, so Michael, your shipmates were from all around the country on the MV Portland. Have you kept in touch with them, and what are they all doing now? Well, I was the luckiest out of them all. I'm still sailing away at sea, and that's only because of the company that I'm working for. I mean, they were the company that I was employed with on the 13th, and they've actually stood by me. But they had to comply to our colour with my other shipmates. One of them's now a wharfie. One of them has had to go into the army, and there was a young fellow who may have seen him, Zach. I think he's doing an apprenticeship. His story was terrible because the night that we got raped, the security goons that had hold of him wouldn't let him get dressed. They stood there staring at him while he was naked trying to get clothes on. That poor kid's deeply bloody uh, shocked by it. Michael, you said you're one of the lucky ones finding jobs. Uh, have any of the others gone back to sea? No, there's only one one of the other crew members that he's got a little bit of a, a gig on the Spirit of Tasmania. He hasn't worked in the whole year. He's just got himself, I think, four weeks coming up to Christmas, and that's it. I mean, he's, he's just been thrown to the wolves type thing. And that's what's happening with with the whole Australian workforce and merchant. Okay, the merchant maybe is one thing, but the whole Australian workforce under this government. So, Michael, if you had a message for the Prime Minister and Michaelia Cash and that other mob up in Canberra, um, what would it be? Well, my message to Malcolm Turnbull and Michaela Cash's, it's quite simple. We need jobs in Australia. We need Australians to be employed to pay the taxes, to pay the bills that you lunatics are bloody racking up in our name. All right, Michael, we might leave it there. Fair winds and following seas, comrade. MUA. Here to stay. In South Australia, I was born. Cave away, haul away. In South Australia, round Cape Horn.
You're listening to Stick Together, where we're looking back at the MV Portland dispute 12 months on. Joining me now is Assistant National Secretary Ian Bray from the Maritime Union of Australia. Thanks for joining us on Stick Together. No worries. How are you, Matt? Very well, thanks, Ian. Can you give us a bit of an idea about what's happened since the ship was taken away? Sure. Since the ship was taken away, the union's gone into overdrive in determining and and fighting for the justice of the seafarers that were forcefully removed. We've done that through... Um, strategic legal advice in terms of potential legal challenges. We mounted uh, serious questions of various government departments in terms of their role in what we now believe to be a conspiracy between government and companies to have Australians removed and placed by foreign seafarers. Uh, We're upping the ante on the federal government in terms of the temporary licences. We're calling for and working closely with employer associations because we also understand that there are Australian companies and Australian ship owners in this country that are about to lose their right to trade in this country, uh, all at the bequest of a federal government with an ideological disposition um, and an anti-worker agenda. And can you tell us a little bit about what's going on back in Portland? I understand there's ongoing protests down there. One of the things that we wanted to do in that dispute it was um, it was about identifying our members' rights uh, to have a job in their own country, but it was also about doing that with a community and not disrupting a community. Um, and I think, considering what's gone on in the last 12 months, uh, I think that was achieved because every time now a foreign ship with a foreign flag and a foreign crew goes into that port carrying a cargo for Alcoa that was once carried by an Australian crew, they go out and they protest every ship and have done so for every ship since the Portland left Portland. And um, and just while we've got that opportunity, we think that's an incredible feat. Uh, we recognise uh, their efforts and we seriously, from the bottom of our hearts, thank them for raising the plight of seafarers in the Port of Portland. Have there been other instances this year of other companies using similar tactics to Alco's gambit in the MV Portland? Yeah, there has, and um, there's different approaches. Obviously, as soon as Alcoa had um, forcefully removed the crew off the Portland, we witnessed another de- um, another incident up in Newcastle where the CSL Melbourne and their crew, um, I think the only thing that changed in the whole plight was uh, they didn't use private security firms to remove the crew off the CSL Melbourne. They used the state police. The taxpayers' money was used to remove Australian taxpayers out of their rightful place of work to then uh, put on board foreign crews. So we do see it and there is a boldness about this by the employers. However, some of the things that we're now doing and some of those questions that we're asking, and it's interesting to note uh, as I speak to you today, we've just wound up a National Seafarers Commission where seafarers from all over the country have come to talk about this um, and to take back their workplaces and to fight for the dignity and the rights, not only for themselves and their families for work now, but also for future generations to ensure that there's a future for seafarers in this country. So about Alcoa, they've just received another six months for their temporary shipping licence, so not so temporary after all. Can you give an indication of what's next in the campaign for the end to these temporary licences? Sure. Again, it comes down to the, the, the longevity of the fix is about creating political certainty because no company in their right mind will invest in Australian industry if a government cannot or we can't find a multi-partisan approach to policy that creates stability. The, po- the politics of the industry has to stop using it as a political football. The second thing is the policy then that supports it, as I've said earlier. The third thing that goes on in terms of um, Alcoa 
and, and their state of play in this, is we understand that there's some challenges in the, in, in the Illumina trade. We understand that, and there's some global pressures. We never said, and we're never in denial about those pressures. We're gonna go one day longer than our car in this, and we're gonna prove it. However, we also acknowledge and believe and support the need for job security for those workers down in that smelter. Our argument has never been about jeopardising that industry. It's always been about where the extension of that industry, the transport arm of that industry, we've got a rightful um, claim to make sure that Australian workers are in that industry. So in the United States, there's a piece of legislation called the Jones Act, which uh, requires US shipping for US products along the US coast. Is the MUA calling for something similar to that in Australia? We are, and um, it needs to be Australianised. Obviously, that's set up around uh, the, the American military-industrial complex, which is quite large. Um, but we do believe that there is a role that we can take examples from that model and create what is necessary for Australia. Not, it's not a case of one size fits all, but it's certainly a case of that is good policy. That is policy that, that protects the interests of the American people. Uh, the national security of that country and we believe that there are elements there that are important to Australia in terms of the national interest and the national security and what role does shipping play in that particular interest. Ian Bray, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. It's been a pleasure, Matt. Good to see you again. Well, that brings us to the end of another show. Thanks for those who spoke to us about the future of Australian shipping. Special thanks to the MUA and Annie McLaughlin for additional audio for this week's program. You can find the podcast of this show and other recent episodes at 3cr.org.au forward slash stick together. You can also contact the producers by calling 03 9419 or emailing us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. This show rounds out another year from Stick Together, which is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. From the team at Stick Together, enjoy your holidays and we'll see you on the picket lines in 2017. Finally, remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. I've been Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together.